We are back this week on Unbuckle Chinstrap, and I have on my good friend, teammate, and captain of the Redwoods Lacrosse Club. It's Eddie Glazner. He's one of the more low-key dudes in our game. He's a true leader on the defense, and he deserves way more credit than he ever gets, but he is as humble as they come. Let's dive into episode three of Unbuckled with one of the most cerebral in the game, Eddie Glazner. What's good, my guy? How we doing? Dude. Good to be on the podcast. I'm I'm excited that you invited me. I got um don't have as interesting as stories as some other guys, but uh, I'm excited to share um you know my thoughts on the game and my background and everything like that. And glad we're uh, glad we're getting to connect. Don't sell yourself short now. I got some good <laughs> stuff on you, boy. Got you. Got to stay humble. You're back on the, the West Coast right now, right? Yeah. Yep. Back in San Diego, the hometown. Um, Back at home with the parents after New York City went into another round of shutdown. So, working East Coast hours on the West Coast. So I'm uh, getting up at around three thirty West Coast time, and I'm done around two. So it's not bad. Get like two days. Oh yeah, not bad. Three thirty, wake up. <laughs> um, yeah, that dude, that part's honestly, not easy. <laughs> um, dude, the craziest thing. I mean, we met. 2019 when I got traded but we would have never met uh if you didn't decide to keep playing pro I don't think many people know that you actually weren't going to play all together so talk to us a little bit about what that was we would even have this conversation right now if you didn't decide to start playing again yeah no it's crazy how it all went down I mean I uh you know we lost in the playoffs my senior year and and in the locker room at the end of the season with my teammates that was you know what I thought you know, and, and obviously it was very depressing, but I thought it was my last time playing really, aside from maybe some sort of competitive club or rec league um, post-college and went, you know, right out of Notre Dame uh, to work at Citigroup, kind of went into your prototypical uh, analyst position on Wall Street as a trader uh, in fixed income and watched as our teammates Landis and Cav uh, from Notre Dame went on to play uh, in the MLL that year. And, you know, I I was bummed out that I wasn't playing with them and was bummed out that lacrosse had almost kind of been taken away from me, but, um, you know, had kind of moved on with my life and was just working. And then after that summer heading into that next spring, which was, um, you know, a year after I graduated, basically, Kavanaugh reached out to me and was like, listen, I, you know, I'm going to put you in touch with the Denver outlaws. You know, you can come to the training camp. It'll be almost like a tryout or, you know, some sort of opportunity for you if you play well. And I was like, yeah, like, dude, hundred percent, I'll be there. And, and had a great tryout and, and played well and was able to, to, to land on the roster and stay on the roster and played, you know, two years in the MLL. And, you know, when the PLL rolled around, the opportunity arose and, and I, spoke with Tom Schreiber about, about coming into the league. And, you know, here we are now, uh, four years in the pros, which again, graduating college, never thought it would have happened. That is crazy. Were you watching those guys, uh, back in, was that 2016 when you were, uh, was that when you were a senior? Yeah, that's right. Or 2017. Yep. 2016 senior year. So they, those guys jumped right into the league. So do they get dra- They got drafted in that, like, was it like top 20, top 30 and you didn't get drafted. Right some guys get drafted and then they're just like, all right, like I'm not really going to play, but you know, with your position and kind of, you know, I guess people are starting to admire it now, but you know, perhaps the people that were drafting back then didn't really understand the scope of your work, the type of player you really were. Obviously the Notre Dame guys understood it um, enough for Cav to be like, look, like this guy's got to get on a roster. Like, I don't know why he's sitting at home, you know, just chilling on wall street when he could obviously be helping, you know, the, be the backbone of our defense. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, um, and, and people that followed at Notre Dame, you know, maybe, you know, knew who I was, but, you know, I certainly was, was behind Matt Landis and Garrett Apple on the depth chart, you know, in terms of, of cover defenders. Um, and with, you know, limited availability moving into the league, you know, guys are obviously going to go with the, you know, the top and most athletic defensemen that are on the field, right. And the guys that are kind of taking the number one matchup. So, you know, while I did kind of secretly hope when that, round of drafts, you know, came up my senior year, you know, obviously I secretly hoped maybe somebody was going to take a chance on me. Um, 
you know, I understand kind of the position that a lot of those teams were in with regard to how they were going to draft defensemen. Um, but, you know, I kind of just stuck with it. Like, you know, after college, I played in the Gotham League, which is a, a league up in New York City in Manhattan. Um, they play games on Tuesday, Wednesday nights up at Columbia uh, at the at the university. And, and I would just play in those games and like, you know, back then, like, you know, as you know, right, you don't get a lot of reps during the week if you're playing in the pros. So guys like Ned Karate and Jack Neer would would show up and play in that league. And, um, you know, I'd come in in shape and, and, and competitive and still kind of kept with lacrosse um, to the point where, you know, I think even those guys were, were giving me a little bit of respect and were like, you know, hey, something opens up on the rats. Maybe we'll try to we'll try to bring you on. Um, so secretly in the back of my mind, there was always some hope that maybe an opportunity would come up at some point. Um, but more than anything, it was really me just loving the sport and enjoying it and, and putting so much time into it. And, and I really wasn't even in like Kavanaugh's ear about, about helping me out to get in or anything like that. Like I'm sure maybe Cav just saw that I was still really passionate about the sport and still playing it and still working hard. And, and, um, you know, kind of went out on a limb for me. And I'm, I'm obviously very grateful for Kavanaugh to, for, to have done that. Cause you know, here we are now, like I said, four years later playing on the same team, um, you know, at, at a very high level and, and, you know, a starter and a captain for the Redwoods. And, you know, would I have imagined that four years ago? Probably not. Doubtful. But <laughs> do you, you know, obviously you're coming out of uh, West coast, right? San Diego. Was there a similar pattern um, to that in terms of you as a player coming out of, you know, a non-predominant area, quote unquote, back then it was like, like 2012, um, 2013 time when you were getting, was that when you were getting recruited, right? When you graduated 2012? Yep, exactly. Was that similar? You think in terms of what coaches were seeing in you as a player? Um, obviously you made it to Notre Dame, but I heard, uh, things, things weren't going too well when you first got there, um, in terms of, uh, the defense, <laughs> defensive side, but talk to me a little <laughs> bit about that. Um, and if you, if you felt like that was a similar process. Yeah, sure. I mean, I mean, for those that, that aren't, you know, totally familiar with my story and, and again, it's not like, you know, anything crazy. There are a lot of people that, that go through high school under recruited, you know, guys like yourself, right. Who kind of get a few D one opportunities and make the most of it. You know, um, I'm, you know, from San Diego started playing when I was 13, grabbed, you know, my cousin's gear from his house, showed up to middle school practice, not even knowing what was going on. And then slowly progressing over time into it being my favorite sport and, and focusing most of my attention into it. Um, you know, I spent, all of high school, you know, summers and falls, right. Traveling with my mom to the East coast, to these club tournaments. I was playing with West coast stars, um, was going to showcases just like kind of most guys will be doing on the East coast. Right. Except you were driving from Jersey to Baltimore, right. I was flying across the country to play in three games. And, and, um, I didn't, necessarily perform at the highest level maybe when I needed to and, and maybe played well at times where it didn't matter and whatever it was right like at every level of the game right middle school I had just started uh, playing and wasn't that great high school was starting to really kind of just peak late and um, you know by junior senior year I was you know all dialed in to go to Amherst and play D3 that was kind of the, the best opportunity that was given to me from an athletic and academic standpoint. And, and I was excited about it. There was always a part of me that wanted to play at the top level. And then going into senior year, like two weeks before senior year started, kind of had some D1 offers start to float in after a pretty good summer. Decided on ND, um, you know, got to ND and right, you're starting all over again, like back to the bottom of the totem pole back to maybe not getting uh, a ton of respect and deservedly. So like you're a freshman and, and I wasn't Matt Cavanaugh. So that's, what's mm -hmm. going to happen. Um, and yeah, I mean, like for a little bit, I, I, I feared that, that, that maybe I'd get dropped. I don't know. Like there, that first semester really? freshman year was really tough. Yeah. I, I, I genuinely was afraid that like coach Byrne and coach Corrigan you know, we're kind of like sitting there shaking their heads, like maybe they made a mistake and uh, that'd be it for me. But, but what, was, um, what was the vibe they were giving off that was like making you feel that way? Um, you know, it, it, it has a lot to do with 
you know, some of the stuff that that I know you're working with guys that are that are getting prepared to go to the next level, right? Like you got to be mentally tough. And, and I think that given my recruiting background, I definitely was like I, I, I stayed the course and, and never really got shook uh, or, or, you know, and settled and continued to kind of demand the best of myself. And I did the same freshman year. But, you know, coming from coming from San Diego, coming from a less talented area uh, in the U.S., to all of a show, all of a sudden showing up at a top five program, right, and and doing one on ones in practice against 22, 21 year olds, right, who are highly skilled, very athletic, you know, much more developed than I was. Um, I kind of just felt myself for the first time, really, like getting a little shaken up and not playing with a lot of confidence, um, being you know maybe a little bit overwhelmed. Um, and just not being myself. Um, and it still kind of felt like I was, I was developing and, and, and in fairness, I think that, that the coaches at ND took a chance on me regardless. Like, I, you know, I think they kind of, mm-hmm. you know, for, for, for the kids that are in high school right now or middle school that are listening to the podcast, like I made sure that. I wasn't being turned away by any schools because it didn't because of my grades or work ethic or anything like that. Like if, if schools were going to turn me down, it was going to be because of uncontrollables, something like maybe athleticism or, or development or something like that. But like I never made it so that stick skills or strength or effort or grades or SAT scores were a reason that I was going to be turned away by any school. And I think, you know, that's control really important. What you can control. Exactly. And that's kind of been, been my mentality even now, right? Like, I I don't think that, um, that Nat's given me the Jordan Wolf matchup in games, but (laughs) you know, I'll control what I can control and, and, and play my role accordingly. Before, before Nat, obviously, you know, he's our, he's our coach now, coach Byrne, you know, one of the most prominent coaches, division one, uh, he's leading the helm there at Harvard right now. He recruited you to get to Notre Dame when you were there and you felt like, you know, perhaps what maybe he saw in you a bit, he took a chance on you. Did you feel like, you know, or I guess you felt like he wasn't seeing that in you anymore. Did it take that conversation or something for it to click for you to become, you know, the Eddie Glazner that we all know now um, at Notre Dame with Landis and Apple? Yeah, I, I want to say almost, you know, at the end of, of the first semester freshman year, heading off to Christmas break, like they kind of told me where I stood out. Like the, the depth chart was, you know, pretty much right there in front of me and had me at the bottom. And, and that's um, real shit. The depth chart. That, <laughs> that is real shit. That's tough. <laughs> um, and uh, right then and there, I basically was like, what do I need to do? Like, what's it going to take? I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to work hard. I want to work hard. Tell me what I need to do. And, you know, they laid it all out there. And by halfway through the spring of freshman year, playing on the practice squad, right, going against the starters every single day, like, I really felt things turn around. And I want to say towards the end, right before the playoffs, you know, you have, and you probably remember this, like when you're at Rutgers, right, there's, there's the travel squad. And it's only about 35 guys, I think, make the travel squad out of the 50-plus man roster. I remember making the travel squad to the Big City Classic. Uh, you know, I, I wasn't going to play in the game, but I suited up and traveled, you know, with the 35-man roster at the end of freshman year and was kind of like, all right, we're going to make this happen. And then, you know, worked really hard over the summer, came back sophomore year, basically played man down and uh, and got a few opportunities to, to go in the games when we were blowing somebody out of the water and then came back junior year and was a starter. So, you know, like you said, stay the course, control what you can control. And, you know, sure, there was a there was a couple month hiccup there at the beginning of college um, that had opened my eyes to, I guess, the reality that I wasn't as good as maybe I thought I was. And then, uh, you know, again, just being dedicated, finding my role was kind of, you know, what I needed to do. And it worked out. It's almost like, I don't know if you saw uh, Alex Caruso, what he said about the G League. He was basically like, you know, in the G League, 
you got a bunch of dudes who who think they're trying out to be the CFO and, and these teams are just looking for somebody to clean the bathrooms. <laughs> I was, you know, I, maybe I thought I was going to be the CFO great. and I, you know, I started cleaning some toilets and finally started earning some playing time. Dude, Alex Caruso is that guy. I he love is. him. Right. It's sweet. I mean, he's, he's yeah. in the league. Yeah. And you could make the argument that other guys that are, you can make the argument that other guys that are a lot more athletic and talented than him are not in the league. It's what it takes. You just got to f- find that slot, find that, uh, you know, that role on your team and you just got to right. fill it the best exactly. you're Yeah, no, no doubt. Um, I mean, you'll see it all the time. Like you see guys, you see guys come into college as, as top ranked recruits. You see guys, you know, come into the league as, you know, top guys in college and they just don't cut it. And I don't know how to explain it. Um, which I felt like why guys like Ament and Costabile did so well this past summer. Cause you know, Costa came in from being a, a top offensive midfielder in college and was, was running two way for the Alice and was killing it. And like Ament, you know, wasn't turning the corner maybe like he did at Penn state, but they needed a guy to, to, to draw slides from X and move the ball. And it, you know, They'll grow into their own players eventually, but you know it was good to see those guys, you know, kind of accept uh, maybe a role that wasn't as high profile as they had in college. Absolutely, I'm a big advocate of that. I think that sometimes, especially in pro lacrosse, I think just we have a small game, and I think that there is, you know, maybe not as clean cut in terms of determining who the best players are. A little bit like in basketball, you know, the NBA, you got 12 spots, and you're coming out of a draft. Um, and if you're not that guy and, you know, you don't slot that role like a Caruso, like you're not going to be on the roster. I feel like in lacrosse, sometimes guys, you know, coming out of the ACC or Big Ten, like everyone thinks they're the man um, and want to be that guy their whole career moving forward. But like the way that we're moving in the pro game now, like you're going to have guys that are playing for 10 plus years that were also the guy 10 years ago that have the experience over you. They have the IQ. Um, they're leaders on their team. You're not just going to come in and take his spot. Like you got to find that role. And when that guy starts to kind of, you know, phase his way out or you take a great leap after that second, third year, then, you know, you kind of become the, the main ball carrier, whatever it is. But in the meantime, like we were just talking about, you got to, f- you got to find out where you fit. And if not, right. And guys let their egos get in the way. And I don't, I think that, you know, that's a, sometimes tough for guys, but if you don't find that, you know, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to see time. And I don't think coaches are going to put up with it. Um, and I think some guys have lost opportunities because of that and haven't been able to adapt. Yeah. More than anything, I feel like that's how I, uh, how I snuck my way into the league in the first place. Like <laughs> I just kind of came in as somebody who was going to do the dirty work and communicate and, you know, guard the third best attackman or the inside guy and, you know, scrap for the ball when it's on the ground and, you know, do whatever it took, I guess, to make the roster. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad that everything has, has worked out the way it has. I know that, you know, some people are, you know, maybe have been, you know, a lot less fortunate or a lot less lucky than I have been to be in the position I am. Right. So, you know, I, I take that, that, that attitude of, of gratefulness, you know, with me um, through the entire season for sure. And now what about Landis and, uh, and Apple? Obviously you guys have been playing together for a long time now. You know, what's what's it been like for you to kind of reconnect with them from Notre Dame? Um, obviously, was that three years you guys were on the line together, two years? Um, talk to me a little bit about playing with them and, and kind of reconnecting with those guys. Yeah, I mean, that was that was epic. I mean, I was so thrilled when when, you know, this whole thing got put together at the PLL and they kind of, you know, structured the teams like college backgrounds or pro backgrounds, personality backgrounds. Like being able to play again with those two guys, um, you know, our first year in the PLL was, you know, a dream come true. And, and um, you know, I think the mentality was was to, to approach it with a very grateful mentality because I think that, you know, like I said, after we lost in the playoffs my senior year, I you know, that was kind of it, right, for the three of us. Like that's at least kind of the mentality that we had. Um, so coming into that season was obviously like, let's, let's make sure that, you know, we make this one to remember and let's enjoy the time we have together. Cause again, you know, it, it, it's, you know, going to end at some point and we're getting a second chance here. And then, it, you know, the other side of it, of course, was trying to win something. We never, we never did that at ND. Um, you know, I, I don't think I've won anything 
my whole life in terms of like championships uh, or anything like that. But, and that was certainly part of it. And, and that I think was one of the reasons that I was so upset uh, when we had lost and why, you know, all the guys were, um, but, you know, I'm not going to trade that for the experience and, and, and time that I got to spend playing with those two guys again. And, you know, you talk about, you know, playing with them. What do you think, you know, the differentiator has been with you guys, uh, obviously with Coach Byrne being a, a pivotal piece of that, um, you know, what's what's been that differentiator to separate you guys, you know, amongst the some of the greatest units, you know, really ever in college and, and now we're seeing at the pro level? Yeah, I, I think the biggest, um, the biggest thing that I felt like has made us stand out as a unit and, and, you know, I'll, I'll give my credit to the Maryland guys too, because I think that they run a similar operation there as well. Um, but the biggest thing is, is a, a sense of trust. And, and it was one that, that we all had in each other. We had one in the D middies and even the offensive players that would get stuck uh, down on our side of the field um, is that no one is going to do anything out of the order, out of the ordinary or, or that we haven't learned already or gone over in practice. Right. Like I think that, um, you get around some defenses, right. And, and guys will, will get a little sporadic. They'll like fake slide. They'll like chase players all over the field. They'll double team whenever they want. And, and, and you get out of character and that's where defenses really break down because people all of a sudden lose that sense of trust is in, you know, what's this guy going to do right now? Is he going to go over the head? Is he going to, try to throw, you know, a rusty gate and get beat. Like what's going to happen? <laughs> Everything that we did was, was, you know, by the book, almost robotic, but, but in a, you know, a more beautiful sense of that. And um, we learned each other's tendencies playing together for those two, three years in college. And then, you know, now these years in the pros as well, so that, everything is just so incredibly predictable and you know what guys are, are going to do. They're taught what they're going to do. And, um, and that's, you know, that's what, what's made us a successful unit defensively. Uh, you know, it's that sense of trust that I think other teams may not necessarily have with each other. Now, did you build that trust uh, on, on your nature walks at Notre Dame um, that I heard about? <laughs> wow, dude, great call out. You've been doing your research. <laughs> Yeah. So nature walks, um, <laughs> Landis loves this. So, you know, for those that don't know, Matt, you know, freak athlete, that dude could go out till four in the morning, you know, partying and he could get up at 7am and run a marathon. Like the guy's a psycho and just, you know, incredible shape, incredible athleticism. I was less fortunate than he was in that regard. Um, so part of my, um, part of my routine, and this was, this was sophomore year when we, when him and I lived together and when, you know, I was playing man down, like I said, but, but I still wasn't getting that, that fourth defenseman or, or starter look. Um, part of my routine was like getting up every day at, you know, six, 7am, uh, running a couple miles, going to the student gym, like you know, the NARP gym and, uh, and getting some, getting, getting some reps in there. I would do like, uh, you know, some days I would, I would just like hit the weights. Some days I would do like push-ups, pull-ups, sit-ups, like something gritty, and then just run back to the dorm, get back to the dorm by like eight. And then, uh, you know, shower, go to class for a couple hours and then go to lift practice in the afternoon. And I was like obsessed with, just getting whatever kind of extra work that I could get. And I wasn't doing it. Here's the important thing is, is like, I wasn't doing it so that Matt or anyone else would see me or would tell coach like, yo, he's working really hard or whatever. Like I was doing it for me and I was doing it to, to get something that I really wanted, um, which was to play or at least to say that I did everything that I did or everything that I thought I could do to get on the field. Like I, I, I knew after that, for, yeah. after those first three months of freshman year, like we talked about, I knew nothing was going to be handed to me. Like I knew that like, if I don't turn this around and do what I got to do, I'm screwed. So, you know, that was it. That's the origin of the nature walks. 
what does the term wasted talent mean to you? Is that <laughs> wasted talent or talk to me with, about that? Yeah, no, that's, that, that's not wasted talent. Um, <laughs> wasted talent for those that, for those that aren't aware of that either, which they're not. Um, but they will soon, we'll be rolling out that brand shortly. Um, a consortium, a consortium of us, uh, created a nice little group chat and, you know, we're working on some content here and there, but, uh, you know, Nick Asello spearheads that, um, I'd say wasted talent more, uh, more, more heavily on the word wasted, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> now, how does, how does this tie? So you bring Nick Osell up uh, now. Wasted talent are the same people operating wasted talent the same as the clout police, or is that a separate unit of officers? The the clout the clout police is is a uh, a subsidiary of wasted talent. I'd say wasted talent really just applies to the guys that are part of our group that uh, that did not make it to the league. That 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 hang their hat on their college career. There's a couple of those guys out there that that are a part of that consortium, and you'll see some of their activity here and there on Lax Twitter. Um, yeah, is but that then you a, have a Mike the, Reese fall into that that's category? That's a big Mike Reese call out right there. That's a big Mike Reese, <laughs> Mike Reese call out there. Larkin Kemp's got himself on the fringe because he because he you know he's on the roster. He he didn't get to look to the series unfortunately, but he uh, you know he played with us the year before, and you know he'll be back next year. But I'd say he. He'd uh, he'd put himself maybe on the fringe of that one, but uh, but yeah, the the we got a nice little group of people in there, and then we got you know the cloud police, Manicello. We're always watching. So what happens? Talk to me about cloud police. What happens um, when someone gets detected and and gets run up on? What are you guys thinking? How does that go down? <laughs> so um, the the origin, I think, was. Um, I'd have to go back actually and see what the, what the most original cloud police arrest was. Um, but I think it all really stemmed from the guys who, who will go out there and post like the happy 4th of July, everybody look at me in my USA Jersey standing for the national anthem, you know, which then evolves into like the Memorial day one where they're like thinking of all those soldiers out there. And then it's just a picture of them standing with their hand over their heart and it's fine. It's whatever. I get it. Guys got to build their own brand. That's, you know, that's part of their business. But I do think that, you know, some of, some of it can be deserved and, and you can, you know, we can use the opportunity to just call guys out a little bit and everybody takes it pretty well, which is, which is a good thing too. Like we're not trying to hurt anyone's feelings uh, in, in the slightest, but um, who's your biggest arrest? It's a good question. I, you know, I'd say Scotty Raj, but he blocked me on Instagram, so I can't see anymore. Um, <laughs> so it's not him. Which, and then I don't know why I'm blocked. I, I shouldn't be. I never said anything. Cello deservedly blocked if he is, but um, I'm blocked, so I can't see that. Otherwise, I think it would have to be. Um, <laughs> Someone, probably a cello right now. Honestly, I think there's a self arrest going on after he's after he's now claimed himself a published author because he wrote a section of the PLL coffee table book. He now thinks he's he now <laughs> thinks he's somehow up there with J.K. Rowling because he wrote like a paragraph in a book. Um, and you know now he's making those Friday beers hype videos with levels in them. So does it actually I'm say that he, last week's was should, sick? By the way. <laughs> Dude, it was incredible. He got see, and he got a he got he got a little lick in on Rabel too. You know, he he he'll he's, he'll call people out. So yeah, that was that was a good post. That was funny. But yeah, he, he's letting it go to his head a little is bit. That, that's for sure. Is that a what is that noise in the background? Did someone someone's weed whacking out here? But yeah, dude, anyways, what uh, let's talk about PLL Island because I pulled up to PLL Island. I was there for two days. I got switched with Apple which was brutal and I wanted to murder him the two days that I was there and he did something and I was ready to throw his ass out the window and I was like I gotta get the fuck out of here before I kill Apple and then I go to your room you got switched to Miles which I was like all right well how the hell did this happen no one notified me um, me and Apple should never room together and everyone knows that 
and uh, you're just posted in there with your whole monitor set up. Like you're out, you're out here trading on Wall Street in the PLL Championship Series bubble. So talk to me about, you know, what what it was like for you to have to hustle through there with, with all the work that you're doing, and what that's even like for you now. You know, trying to trying to occupy and, and fulfill that job you have. You're up at right now three thirty in the morning, just you know, just eating that and just thinking like it's nothing. That, that's not nothing to to most people. Yeah, you know, I think um, I think it's important that. Um, some of us, you know, or, or a lot of people have a passion or a hobby or, or a career outside of lacrosse. I'm not knocking anyone that does it full time. Like, you know, guys that do people like yourself or guys that I know that coached, like they're extremely passionate about the sport and they want to give back to it and want to be fully immersed in it. And, and at some point, like, I want to make sure that, that I'm giving back everything that it has given me. Um, but right now, like, and, and like we said, graduating college and thinking that this was all going to be over, like I wanted to, to find a career and a starting place where I was going to be in a competitive environment, um, you know, an environment where now instead of being measured by your performance on the field, right, you're being measured by your performance, you know, by your profit and loss basically by how much money you're making. If you're looking at it strictly from a sales and trading standpoint um, and, you know, we're all on the same team. Like I work at Citibank and, you know, we trade with competitors like Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, you name it. And, you know, we want our numbers to be higher than competitors numbers. And then, which is the same reason that the Redwoods want to beat the whip snakes. And then at the same time, there's, you know, competition within the team, which is honestly what makes teams great, right? Like I want to have, you know, a higher number than other people. I want to be, you know, one of the best performers, you know, on our trading desk, the same way you want to be, you know, the best attackman on, on the team, not taking away from the team's performance, but, um, you know, you want to play at your best and be the guy picking the ball off the end line with six seconds left in the game, stuff like that. So, um, when you're passionate about stuff like that and you find something else to really focus on and, and bring out your competitive nature, it becomes a lot easier. So, you know, being out in Salt Lake and, you know, getting up at four, four, four thirty in the morning to, to turn the monitor on and try not to make noise for miles. And then, you know, bringing my monitor to the facility so that I could, you know, pick back up and trade, you know, after a morning practice, um, you know, would sound like, you know, a difficult task or maybe a nuisance or something like that. But, you know, when, when you really, you know, are passionate about what you're doing and you care about it and you care about your individual performance, it becomes a little easier. Um, but it definitely bogged down on me for sure during that time, right? We're having two a days and I've got to go, you know, check on, you know, the markets or how my book's doing and stuff like that. And I'd be like, over in the the lounge area of the facility at Salt Lake. And I thought I found like a nice quiet place. And then all of a sudden it's, I realized that I'm in the water dogs locker room because they had like this big open area for taping. And I just hear like players walking by looking at my screen me like, what the fuck is this guy doing? Cause if you know, I'd have like, you know, all like these charts are up, like the numbers are flashing, like red and green and you know, it's like a full Bloomberg terminal. Yeah, I saw it, bro. It's, it's nonsense. Dudes are walking by like, what is this? Like, what are you coding or something? Like what's going on? And, um, you know, that was, that was kind of funny. You guys got a kick out of that, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it definitely kept me very busy for, for that week. And then I actually used vacation for the, for the two weeks of gameplay. So I didn't have to stress out too much about work, uh, which was nice, but, but yeah, for that first week, bringing out the monitor working, uh, grinding was, uh, was interesting. I mean, dude, from my perspective, I, I think it, and I think most guys, you know, that know you, it speaks a lot about your character and your leadership that, you know, you take, you know, as much, um, or you have as much attention to, to your work ethic outside of lacrosse. Um, but that you never let that get in the way, um, of your performance. And obviously, you know, I never saw you play before, um, I met you and I don't think I really understood, you know, the value that you brought, especially, I played in the Big Ten, so I never played Notre Dame. I would see your ass, like your little face thing pop up on the screen, and they'd be like, oh, the Notre Dame defense. 
And in my head, I'm like, who is this dude posting the defense? I knew Landis covering like Lyle and then Apple, you know, doing what Apple does. But I'm like, who is this other dude that right. they keep talking about? And um, then when I started to play with you, I was like, oh shit. Fringe like, guy. I, yeah, fringe guy. <laughs> I'm like, I start starting to like makes more sense to me. <laughs> um, but like, I think that the rest of like the lacrosse community started to understand that more when they started miking you up and they're like, oh shit, like this dude is, you know, the reason why this defense, you know, really sticks together. You know, that whip snakes game, I think it was 2019 we played and we got our asses handed to us. I don't know what the fuck we were doing on offense, but on defense, you were out that game. We lost 17-4. Um, and then fast forward this season, Apple gets tossed from a game and you hold, you know, the, the defense down, only letting seven goals. So, you know, talk to, talk to us about what it feels like for you to start getting more of that acknowledgement um, and, and, you know, if that impacts you at all or what your thought process is about that. And obviously, you know, the, the, um, I know that you're a humble guy, but you know, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> yeah, no, I appreciate it. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't I, – I, I'm not necessarily, like, want to downplay it at all, like, especially in a world where a lot of guys are going to, you know, hoot and holler about, like, not getting the respect they deserve and, and all that, you know, all that nonsense. Um you know, I, I was really careful. The, the police might be on you for what you say here. <laughs> yeah, I know. Exactly. So I'm not going to sit here and humble brag. Um, but I was I was glad that that I, you know, was getting mic'd up this summer and that, you know, other players on defense had the opportunity to 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 have that done as well, because I felt like it opened up the viewer's eyes to the type of communication that that happens on a defense and and um you know, you know, who knows the, the whip snakes game where we got blown out, you know, that could have just been a one-off scenario. I know people wanted to attribute that to my absence and that's, that's great. Um, but you know, more than anything, I just think like based on, you know, maybe, maybe that game and a few other games. And like you said, the one that Apple was out in, but we still managed to, to hold a good chaos team to seven goals. Um, you know, I think it just speaks to kind of the, the, the way that the game on defense is changing and I'm not saying it's changing drastically, but if you look back to like pre bill Tierney, you know, guys were just playing defense like basketball and guys were forcing guys to their offhand, but not really worrying about the middle of the field. And then right. Tierney kind of evolutionized, you know, sending guys down the alley and, and forcing teams to take harder shots. And now it feels to me, and, you know, you can set your watch to it. And in my opinion, like 10 years from now, you're going to have defenses reading offenses the same way that a quarterback in football reads a defense and, and sees, you know, when he's under center, like, okay, they're in a cover two. If a linebacker comes down, like, I know that this pass is open. Like, you're going to have defenses now watching offenses get set into, you know, a 22 or a one, four, one, um, see who initiates the dodge and start realizing what's going to happen in front of them. And I feel like a lot of the time defense and at Notre Dame, it wasn't as much, but you know, defenses in general are, are reactionary and you're reacting to what the offense is doing. And that's fine. You know, you're the ball carrier. You decide where we're going to go. But what, what, what is going to start making a good defense stand out compared to an average defense is a defense that is prepared in what offenses are trying to achieve by running different sets or putting the ball in certain guys' hands. And, like, I, you know, we I can't say that we were extremely successful in it, right, because we didn't win it all last year and we didn't win it all the year before. So, you know. I'm not going to hang my hat on how we're some elite defense, you know, having lost to the whip snakes back to back years, but that's not to say that we didn't come in prepared for them to, you know, run the two, two, two with, you know, an alley dodge, throw, throw backside dodge for Zed Williams, or, you know, a dodge down the left-handed alley, throw, throw dodge for Rambo with a pick down, um, you know, and then a backside exchange like a one, four, one with double mumbo actions or like a one, four, one with a dodge from the wing mumbo action on the backside, like all that stuff, like players 
should start educating themselves and part of it's from experience, but part of it's from film on like what offenses are trying to achieve by getting themselves into certain positions. Cause I think that's, what's going to start making great defenses better than average defenses. And that's the way I look at the game. And I, I agree with you um, in terms of, you know, on the flip side as an offensive player, like, I have to see kind of – I know the two best defenses in the league are, are our defense and Maryland, um, not Maryland Whipsnakes. But right. in terms of like how you're seeing that on the offensive side, like I have to think about if we don't have all four guys – or all six guys, excuse me, um, you know, versus a defense that's actually reading it that way, filling in the right spots and cutting to the open opportunities that are created when we do draw slides, like you, you can't – you fundamentally can't beat a defense that's on board like that at seeing the game at that level. Um, and I think that the more that that's kind of chess right. match goes back and forth, um, it, it just it exposes teams and exposes weaknesses um, on the offensive side of the ball when we play a team like that. Um, and I know we have trouble with that on the for the Redwoods. Um, and I think that's something we have to grow for on the offensive side. But it's just going to keep being this like relationship of like the defenses learn, you know, those patterns and you have to take it to the next level on offense. You know, how are you going to be at one step ahead of the defense when they know what patterns you're going to have? Um, but what, when did you as a defender, like when did those things start to click more? Um, and did you start to see the game at that level? Obviously, you know, you, you're coming out of San Diego. So did you, you have that, you know, kind of preemptive before Notre Dame or is that a Notre Dame kind of thing that you learned with coach Byrne? Yeah, no, like not at all. Like I was, you know, high school was as basic as it got, right. Which was take the ball away from your guy if he has it and slide from the crease if guys get beat and we'll figure it out after that. And um, coming to ND, it was obviously a lot more technical and a lot of the drills that coach Byrne was doing. Um, you know, I was so overwhelmed when I got there that it took me a while to understand kind of the genesis of all those drills, but a lot of them would be broken down into like fragments of an offense. So all you would need is three offensive guys or three defensemen playing offense and three defensemen, or even two defensemen and just walk through like what a clear through pop behind the ball looks like and who is supposed to be helping when that happens. And like what, uh, what the mumbo looks like, like how does that action start? And then you break down all these different types of actions that an offense can run. And then you can start putting the pieces together. And I feel like I didn't really start putting the pieces together until we got to that freshman spring when I was on the practice squad and I was getting a ton of reps against the starting offense. Right. And I kind of took it on myself to, to start and, and as a way to learn almost um, to not only like call out what my position was. So like, I'd say, you know, Hey, I'm the go I'm sliding, et cetera. Um, to then start telling other people what they were supposed to do. And then it started becoming like clockwork. And I remember Cav like freshman year again being like, and he was obviously in the starting offense being like, dude, I think you just told like all five other players what to do in that one play. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I just started like being obsessed with learning how the defense would work and how, you know, you could get guys into positions to stop offenses. So I remember just being like, you know, I'm the go and, and, while I was sliding, I was already saying the guy's name behind me to, to come be the two guy and telling whoever was, you know, on the top right by name to get down the backside. And then, you know, with all that repetition and there were definitely some screw ups along the way, right? Um, finally started to get comfortable, you know, not only speaking and yelling at other players, but like just understanding how the defense worked. You know, you got to get comfortable. Like, Guys, guys are going to be shy and, um, you know, not necessarily want to speak out or maybe they're overwhelmed with their matchup that they don't want to be talking. So, you know, I'll be that guy that talks. And that's kind of how I was able to, uh, to, to, as Caruso would say, be the guy that cleans the toilets and let the, uh, let the <laughs> CFOs do the work. Dude, and you're like one of the more low-key people I know in terms of like off the field and then – you hear yourself on film or you hear yourself playing and you're just like, what the fuck is this guy on? What did he take before the game? Cause it's a, it's like a shriek of, of passion behind like who needs to go where. 
And yeah, it was like, wow. The voice cracks, you know, get a couple of voice cracks in the mix <laughs> and like probably annoying whoever I'm guarding. Like I, oh, I got to imagine like Jay Carlson, whenever we play the whip snakes is like, you got to be kidding me. Like this guy again. Um, but like, you got to have the urgency in your voice. Like I need, like, I don't, Apple doesn't need to know, but like, I need, you know, oh, Mitty stuck on defense or maybe like less experienced guys on defense, like know how important every little thing is. Um, and so I try to just kind of like carry every play and, and scream with, you know, a sense of urgency. And as far as, you know, I, I think I can comprehend a little bit better the way that, you know, you're seeing the game um, and kind of understanding it, which I don't, we probably should watch film together. I don't know if we've never, we've never done that, but I'm obsessed with film like the same way on the offensive side um, and just understanding like, you know, everything that the def- defense does, I need to have a counter to that and a way to, you know, put myself in a position to be advantageous to help the offense. Yeah. I feel like it'd be, it'd be a cool back and forth. I don't know why we've never done that before, but um, I think, you know, I want to know more about, you know, prepping for your opponent with you and like what you're seeing um, and, and kind of how you think about a matchup outside of just the formations. Like, are, are you thinking about the guy in front of you? Are you thinking about, you know, the, the overall tendencies of the, the offensive of, of guys that you're playing? Like, what does that look like for Eddie Glazner when you're preparing for, you know, the whip snakes in the, in the championship game? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, I, I don't know the exact statistical breakdown, but I, I, I feel like in a game, you know, you are at max guarding the ball 10, 15% of the time um, during the game. And then obviously the other 85, 90% you're playing off ball defense. But, but in those moments, you know, I could be guarding my matchup or I could be switched on to a different matchup. Right. So like through the course of a game, um, you know, I could guard all three attackmen and get dodged by all three of them. Um you know, like I said, my, my role in college and, and now in the pros has never really been guarding that number one guy. You know, there have certainly been some games where I've gotten matched up on him because, you know, coach thinks that, you know, the way I play defense and how disciplined it is, maybe that's a weakness for some of the attackmen that kind of like playing guys that get out of control and try to throw takeaways. Um, so, you know, I'll take matchups like that. But I'll definitely watch film, you know, and the series was great because we got to watch games live, right, and see how guys, you know, you you didn't miss anything, right, well, you know, when the ball was on the offensive side of the field. Um, but, I, you know, I don't consider myself with, you know, DB athleticism guarding the ball like other guys might have. Um, so I really try to try to almost – prevent guys from changing direction. Um, you know, so guys like yourself who kind of thrive on, um, you know, double, triple moving at X, like I almost position myself to let guys pick one direction and keep them in that direction. And, and sometimes, you know, it doesn't necessarily work out great, but, but more often than not, right. Guys that get into their dodges and you can obviously speak more to this than I can, get into them kind of looking to try to get a guy to overcommit to one side or something like that, and then kind of take advantage and, and, and beat him the other way. And I'll almost rather shadow a guy or let him pick his first direction and then kind of let him continue that way, almost all the way till goal line and then start to really engage the guy because, you know, those are low percentage shots when you get close to goal line, if you're not turning the corner completely, right. Especially against these goalies. So um, from an on ball standpoint and in my preparation for those games, like, you know, I'll do my best to be prepared for somebody who's extremely athletic and going to change direction and going to, you know, speed dodge. Um, but if you can play your angles, right. You know, you can be one of the best defenders in the league. We had this guy like Steve O'Hara, he played at uh... Notre Dame. Steve O'Hara and like he was a first team All-American he put the clamps on pretty much everybody and he was he'd tell you be the first guy to tell you he was not the fastest most athletic guy on the team but like he was strong and and never overcommitted and played his ankles right it's really what it is do you think that's the best advice that you can give to young and upcoming defenders and even defenders you know at the college level right now is, is to play your angles 
Yeah, I, I think so. I think I think that um, you know you, you want to at a, at a at a high school and even early college stage, like you, you want to stand out, right? And sometimes standing out means like having an attackman take you out to an island and you just absolutely, you know, yard sailing him in front of recruiters or, or, you know, in front of the coach in practice. And that's your way of getting noticed. But like we were saying about kind of the evolution of, of defense, you're not going to these schools just because you can cover a guy like you, you're getting recruited. They know that you can keep up with guys like they know you can play pretty solid defense and they can at least work on your footwork. You have the build and athleticism to, to do so. Um, a lot of it really does have to do. And in, in my opinion, with how you're going to be playing off the ball, like, you know, what, where your presence is, you know, when when guys mess up double teams or there's like a shallow clear through and a throwback, like stuff like that if you're kind of just got your head in the clouds worried about where your guy is and he's cutting through the middle of the field and you're looking at him while someone's getting beat on the other side of the field, like you're, it's not, that's not conducive to what we're seeing now uh, from a defensive standpoint. Absolutely. Well, Glaze, um, I'm going to give you one opportunity right now um, to set the record straight um, between you, Landis and Apple. You know, who is, quote unquote, daddy between the three of you? Dude. All right. Let's set it straight for, for now. All right. <laughs> they all know I'm daddy. All right. If there's – I'm I'm the chess master and they're my two little pawns that I, that I push around and get all the credit for. And then uh, – but Landis but, – but I will say that, that Landis was the sponge. You know, he soaked up all the juice in college. He's the juice guy, but I don't know, man. After that, uh, after that top twenty inside lacrosse ranking system, I feel like I, I stole the juice. So I'm the sponge and chess master now. Out of boy, that's what I like to hear right there. All right, Blaze. Um, <laughs> All right. I think that's it. It was a pleasure, my man. I appreciate you hopping on with me. Yeah, appreciate it. Good talking with you. That is it for this week's episode of Unbuckle Chinstrap. If you enjoyed this episode, or even if you didn't, make sure you subscribe and rate the podcast for me. Thank you to Eddie for coming on. You can follow him over at Twitter at JustGlaze and check in on the Clout Police and on Instagram at JustGlaze30. While you're doing that, you might as well follow me as well at Jules Henningberg on Instagram and Twitter and follow the podcast as well at Unbuckle Chinstrap. Appreciate you guys for listening. Thank you. We'll catch you next week. Mm.